been a teacher for 52 years now in some way or another, I still feel that I'm not the teacher when we get to church. I feel that the Holy Spirit must be the teacher. So I've prayed that way. Our team has prayed that way this morning. And I hope your hearts are, are uh, aware and awake to hear whatever the Holy Spirit wants to tell us individually. Every time I preach like this, I preach to myself, and if somebody else listens, that's great. <laughs> so when I see some verses here that are pretty pointed this morning, I'm looking at me, and uh, the Spirit will let each person hear what's important to them uh, as we're here together in unity before the Lord. I'm going to start by going to the grocery store. I think we've all gone to the grocery store at least once or twice in our life. And some of us probably went when we were wee wee kids with mama or grandma. I remember, uh, first of all, going to the little friendly market, which was right on Main Street, Lighthouse Avenue, Pacific Grove, right smack in the middle of town. Walk in, and Helen, the uh, clerk who also owned the place, greeted you, talked to you, said, gee, can I help you find anything? It was a great situation. We get to the meat market uh, part, the meat counter. Remember those old glass counters that were refrigerated and they had the nice trays of freshly cut meat, a whole row and then a piece of paper and another row and another, you know, they were really beautifully laid out. And Jim, who was the butcher, was also our next door neighbor. So he knew our family well and he knew what we liked and he knew what we didn't like so he wanted to make sure that he offered us the absolute best by telling us well here's all the marbling that's in the meat and it's been aged uh, this long to get the most tenderness and all of that and I've trimmed all the excess fat off but leaving just enough to make sure the flavor is good and it's the best product I have to offer would you like to have this wrapped for you that was the kind of market I grew up going to. Well, then comes along the supermarket. We traveled over to the Lucky Market in Salinas, and it was one of these places where the uh, <clears throat> miniature donut machine was right in front of the store in the main front window. So we as kids would stand there and watch the donuts being made while the parents went shopping through all these different displays. Well, as we get a little closer to now, we walk into a supermarket and there's wall after wall after wall of meats. Here's the pork, here's the, pork, here's the lamb, here's the beef, here's the chicken. You know? And everything is prepackaged, wrapped in these little yellow or white trays, covered with cellophane, and the price tag and the weighing tag covers up so much of what you're looking at that you don't know what you're buying, but you're trusting that somebody was decent enough when they put it in that package. And you then also realize, hmm, that was put together at some warehouse 800 miles away and trucked over here and didn't have a thing to do with a local butcher in the first place. That, so we're getting closer to, to now. And then they added a deli counter. And you walk into the deli, 
and there's bowl and bowl and tray and tray and bowl and tray of these conglomerations that they have different names on. And the one that bothered me the most, because I grew up in, in Pacific Grove, Monterey, and right on the waterfront, and we had fish off the ship. It comes in the ship, and then it comes out on the ice pack, and you pick that one, and so forth. But this was a seafood salad. And I took a look at it, and I said, what's in it? We don't know. Try not. If you want it, I'll put it in a container. If you don't, go on, you know. And we see how shopping has really changed over the years. Well, you know what? I think preaching has followed that same pattern. Because first of all, which my favorite style, is called expository. And that's where you take an entire passage of Scripture in context, and you go verse by verse, and you look up and figure out what some of the words and meanings of the time it was written, so we could understand more of what God wanted us to know the entire context. That's my favorite kind. I, I like to teach rather than preach, and I think expository is really my favorite style. But then <clears throat> a lot of people use the style. What that does, it takes one topic. It can be beef, it could be chicken, it could be fish. <laughs> and present all kinds of verses to display the point that God wants emphasized that day. Nothing wrong with it. But it's not particularly in context. It's related to a subject. Okay. Also okay, but then good old seminary pattern, okay? The most sacred three-point sermon, which is the only way to get the message really across effectively, you know? <laughs> and if it isn't illiterate, you know, alliteration, that kind of illiterate, okay? <laughs> like... Uh, packing paper properly, you know, points aren't done in an alliteration. It is not a complete and proper sermon. Well, you know, I think there's a problem with that because sometimes there's so much preparation in it that the Holy Spirit doesn't have a, a chance to move in the mind of the speaker. And so uh, you can see the grocery uh, pattern here in preaching methods over the several years. Now, like I said, I've been a teacher for 52 years in classroom, pulpit, wooded campgrounds, all kinds of situations. <clears throat> and yet, I'm going to do something differently today because I'm going to open a can of high-quality mixed meats that's found on aisle five already pre-packaged, already sealed, who knows, <laughs> whatever. But I'm going to use the mixed nuts today uh, in my method, which is totally different for me. But I feel that's what the Holy Spirit wants, so that's what, how I'm going to uh, do it today. There are filberts, there are peanuts, there are almonds, there are walnuts, there are cashews, all of them are beautiful. All of them are delicious. 
Some people like filberts, some don't. <laughs> some like macadamias and some don't. But there's a kind of nut in that can for everybody out there who picks their favorite. Okay? And so what I'm going to do is I believe in what I'm going to cover today, the Holy Spirit filled the can with all different kinds of varieties in what I'm going to talk on today. And each of those are meant to touch somebody's heart in this congregation today. Not everybody will enjoy every verse. Not everybody will need to hear every verse. But what I am asking is that the Holy Spirit allow you as an individual to hear whichever verse fits your need this morning. And with that, I'll go ahead and get started. <laughs> that was all intro. <laughs> okay. Where are we in God's timeline? Now, if you look at the screen, you can't read all of this stuff, but it, it starts way back uh, before time, and it comes through the garden, and it comes through all the prophets, and it comes through uh, the introduction to the church, and all of that. It's the whole uh, mapped out plan that God has given us in his word. And God has given us an end to that timeline. And most of us are aware somewhat of the details. We don't know it all. I don't think anybody knows it all. Even the ones who have studied it for years still disagree of what's coming, when, and where. The problem is <clears throat> we need to study the entire Word of God and His timeline so that we can be well-informed witnesses to not only preach to the unbelieving world, but to help the individual church bodies grow in faith and knowledge of the Word of God. So, God did not want uh, sin in the world. I don't think so. I think he wanted fellowship with mankind, and he would have been very happy if sin never entered this picture. But Satan comes along, good old Lucifer, you know, Lucifer meant light. He was the angel of light and almost second in command in heaven. And all of a sudden he decided he wanted to be number one. So when he was booted out of heaven and he comes down to uh, the creation situation, he starts having a plan. I'm going to take over rulership and leave God out of the picture. I'm going to be God instead of being God's servant. And so that's where sin began. God didn't create it, but God allowed it. And there's one reason he allowed it, I think. And again, this is my opinion. I think God allowed it so that we had a choice to love rather than a demand to obey him. He loved us while we were yet sinners. He died for us. He wanted us to love him back, but he wanted it to be a personal choice, which is why sin is allowable in the plan. His master plan of salvation was given to his chosen people through prophets. Now, Israel is an important key to the entire timeline 
that God has laid out. God is not done with Israel. But bottom line is, the plan got stalled because of disobedience, selfishness, and even idolatry. So God then allowed the message to turn to the Gentiles so that the Gentiles would spread the message that the Jews interrupted. Okay? Now, he's going to come back to the Jews at the end. And he's going to save them and he's going to protect them and he's going to restore them and they're going to see he's really the Messiah and all's going to be well for his chosen people as well. But in the meantime, the church has got a job to do. And as the church does it, they have to keep in mind that there's an end to the job. There's a retirement plan. <laughs> okay? We call it the rapture. The scripture actually talks about it being the gathering together. Okay? There are at least four major concepts of this particular plan, part of the plan. But there's one that fits the Old Testament prophets and the New Testament prophecies and Jesus' own words and everything we learn through the epistles and so forth. And that is the pre-trib version, which I've pictured here on the, on the screen. And the whole basis of that is up through chapter th three, the scripture talks about the church and the believers of the church body. However, in chapter 4, there's a slight change of term. And anybody who's a believer from chapter 4 through the end of the book are called saints, which is the same term that was used for the Old Testament saints who believed in the coming of the Messiah and lived accordingly, and it was accounted unto them as righteousness. So here's what I believe. I believe that the church goes up somewhere between chapter 3 and chapter 4, and we have a seven-year wedding feast, which is Jewish tradition, by the way, while the rest of the world has seven years of tribulation. So that's the picture that we're looking at there. Now, when will that happen? We don't we don't have any key to an actual date, time, or what. We do have information about what to look for. And um, <clears throat> we, they're called birth pangs. Okay? And in Matthew 24, Jesus' disciples asked him about signs of his coming. And he says, these birth pangs will precede his return. The Olivet Discourse in Matthew 24 and 25, Mark 13, Luke 21 includes concepts of things like global sicknesses. Ooh, we just been through one of those, haven't we? Okay. Um, and Jesus mentions earthquakes and wars and plagues and pestilences as just a few of the situations. Now, these things I think we would have to realize are happening more often in more locations now and quicker than they ever have in the entire history of recorded uh, background. 
So bottom line is, in my thinking, I think we're in the tribulation. We're not at the last days, but we are in the times of the birth pangs. And COVID was one of those signs in my mind. I don't think God created it any more than he created original sin. I think he's allowed it to do two things. Make people hate him or people love him and get more committed to getting the gospel out. So COVID was part of the timeline of some way or another. No matter who started it, no matter who spread it, it doesn't matter. We're not pointing fingers. We're not talking politics. We're not talking anything in that except it has affected a lot of people worldwide. Now, Matthew 24, 6, 8, in Jesus' own words, these things must come to pass, but at the end is not yet, for nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There'll be famines, pestilences, earthquakes in various places. All these things are just the beginning of sorrows. Now, these things are going on, like I said. But one thing that really gets me is that we don't see them just in the world, but we see a whole bunch of other problems related to these things right in the church worldwide. 2 Timothy 4.3, The time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a number of teachers who say what their itching ears want to hear. Now, there are churches out there today that are making all kinds of, we're going to change the Bible because it isn't up to social standards and we believe in the social standards, so we're going to change the word. That's happening a lot in the churches today. We've seen entire denominations turn from solid scriptural teaching to the social gospel that forgets the Bible 90% of the time. And I don't know about you, but the Bible tells me we need the whole counsel of God. We need it from cover to cover. And we need to understand it. We need to learn it. We need to live by it. And Matthew 7, 1 through 5, and this is, a, this is a problem a lot of times too. He's saying to us, judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use it, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck in your brother's eye, but not notice the log in your own? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when there's a log in your own. That's happening in churches worldwide. Fundamental churches are being split by people who want to play God and judge and downgrade and hurt and all of that. Well, um, <clears throat> Mark 7, 23, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. From, uh, for from what's within, out of the heart of man, comes evil thoughts, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. 
all these evil things come from within and they defile a person. Let me add one comment. This one's strictly off the record. (laughs) It defiles the true church. When it happens in the church, it defiles the church. Revelation 3, 15 and 16. Interesting here, he's talking to the seven churches, and that's not the, the only... There weren't just seven churches in existence at the time. There were seven church types, okay? And each of the types told the rest. Like, for instance, I'm coming to uh, San Jose First Baptist, and I say, guess what? I see in you what I see in every other church that's taken the same stand you are. That's what Revelation 2 and 3 does. All right. So he says here, I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. Oh, I could wish you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold or hot, I will spit you out of my mouth. That's what Jesus thinks of a church who has lost its first love and who has lost its fire of the Holy Spirit to move and carry the doctrine where it needs to go. <clears throat> Second Timothy 3, 1 through 5. Now you notice, I'm letting the word of God speak this morning. I'm not stirring the pot. I'm not pointing fingers. I'm not uh, doing anything but reading the word because I believe the Holy Spirit wants the word read. So understand that concept this morning. Second Timothy 3, 1 through 5. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty for people to be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, holy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, swollen with conceit, Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And here's the key phrase. Having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. We all have the Holy Spirit dwelling within us because we are saved by Christ's death and resurrection and his, uh, the plan of salvation. I believe the Holy Spirit is our gift that seals us and strengthens us and guides us and teaches us if we listen. So why are these things so prevalent in the church today? Because we forget as Christians to put on the whole armor of God to withstand the wiles of the devil. The devil wants to take away the ministry of the church like he took it away from Israel. He wants it not to be known. So he is going to do a battle with anybody who wants to stand firm on the word of God. Anybody. I'm not talking about pastor. I'm not talking about youth leader. I'm not talking about office workers. I'm not talking about Sunday school teachers. I'm talking about 
every believer. Ephesians 6.12 says, We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against the spiritual hosts of wickedness in high places. I hate to say it, but one of the biggest battles that most of us face, myself included, is called the tongue. You know, we've designed so our lips can close the mouth gate before bad things flow out of it. But sometimes the jaw doesn't work fast enough to make it tight enough shut that things don't belch out of it. Okay? Proverbs 13.3 Whoever guards his mouth preserves his life. He who opens wide his lips comes to ruin. Proverbs 18.19 A brother who has been insulted is harder to win back than a walled city. And arguments separate people like the barred gates of a palace. Interesting concept. That's what our mouth can do. 1 Peter 3.9 Do not repay evil for evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing. Because to this you were called so that you might inherit a blessing. Proverbs 26.20 Without wood, a fire will go out. Without gossip, quarreling will stop. Ephesians 4.29 Let no corrupt talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Now sometimes... It's our witness to non-believers that gets damaged by our method of presenting the gospel. <laughs> yeah, beat them over the head with it and see what they, uh, how much they accept it. Okay, but oftentimes, it's the fellowship of the church body that gets hurt for the same reason. Romans 15, 5 and 6. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ had. So that with one mind and voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Ephesians 4, 1 and 3 also speaks for itself. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit throughout the bond of peace. Psalm 133.1 How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. Now, the period we've gone through, I don't think there's a church in the country that hasn't had inner with people against each other more than during this 
COVID battle. And God says something about that in Ephesians 4.15. Instead, speak the truth in love. And we will grow to become in every aspect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. You know, we first earn the right to be heard by our deeds and our lifestyle. Then, when we do speak the truth in love, it'll be heard because people respect our walk and our talk. But here's the clincher. Here's the point I think God wants to make this morning. I think the Holy Spirit wants each of us to realize. And again, the scripture is going to talk for itself. If someone or if someone has hurt us, we need to be the first to forgive. The scripture says that we need to forgive if we want to receive forgiveness. Ephesians 4.32, be kind and compassionate to one another, each other, just as Christ has forgiven you. Matthew 6, 14 and 15. For if you forgive other people uh, when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sin, your Father will not forgive yours. Colossians 13. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Now that's interesting. If I have a grievance against you, I need to forgive you. Hmm, interesting, isn't it? That's a little backwards the way we think. If you have a grievance against me, That I can understand forgiving because I'm still in control. (laughs) But if I have a grievance against you, I need to forgive you so that I can let the Holy Spirit work. Interesting. Now, my closing thought is an instruction that Christ wants us to understand and how we need to respond all scriptures we've heard this morning. Instead of tearing down relationships, instead of killing testimonies, instead of uh, cutting off the available power from the Holy Spirit who leads the body of the church, he says two words. Be builders. Be builders. Ephesians 2.21 At the personal level, he exhorted all Christians to build up one another. 1 Thessalonians 5.11, to build up the church by building up or edifying the individual members. Look for ways today to build up, to strengthen, to encourage, to love other members of the body of Christ. Because in doing so, you will build up the entire universal church. I want to take a moment for invitation at this point. I don't want anybody to look around 
to see what everybody else is doing. This is between you and the Holy Spirit. If it helps you to close your eyes, go ahead and do that. But I'm simply going to say, if any of these verses touch your heart this morning and ask you to respond to them, even if it's just one, and you'd like to be included in the closing prayer, which is coming up shortly, nobody's looking around. If you want to be Put your hand up and let the Holy Spirit see that you want to deal with him. Good, I see those hands. Wonderful. The Spirit is moving. The Spirit has a message. The Spirit is working. Praise God. Now I'm going to have a closing prayer and we're going to organ play an old hymn. One of my favorites. And while... Vanita plays this hymn. I'm going to read a few of the selected words out of that hymn as the closing prayer. So think about them as I pray them. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. Take my lips and let them be filled with messages from thee. Take my will, make it thine. It shall no longer be mine. Take my heart, it's thine own. It shall be thy royal throne. But most of all, Lord, Take myself, and I will be ever, only, all for thee. Amen and amen.